I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to the Hard Run Box podcast for episode 12. In this episode, we go on a bit of a rant about how the Epic Game Store kind of sucks, and that's 100% why it keeps losing tons of money. We're also going to be looking into AMD's driver support for older GPUs. We've got some questions about YouTube ad block. And then, yeah, our boring lives, a bit of a chat about TV shows that we've been watching and other things. So plenty to get to in this episode. Let's get into it. Steve, we're back. Another podcast. How are you going? Good, thank you. The big 12 No, just 12. <laughs> just 12, oh, yeah, just 12. I wish it was, well, yeah. We, it was 11 though, wasn't it? Yeah, I got it right. I, got, okay. I was pretty happy with myself. I didn't have to delete the whole podcast episode, so that was nice. Okay. So we're, yep, okay, 12th one in. That's good. Uh, no, going pretty good. Been doing a few interesting things. Nothing terribly exciting, I have to admit, but we'll probably talk about that towards the end. We've got a few, well, let's start with the first topic because okay. this is one where Go on a bit of a rant because this is a topic about the Epic Game Store losing heaps of money. Oh, no. So basically as part of the – there's currently some Epic lawsuits going on at the moment. I believe it's between Epic and Apple and Epic and Google, all sorts of different battles going on at the moment. The head yep. of the Epic Game Store, Steve Allison's come out and basically said, the Epic Game Store – it's not profitable. It's actually mm-hmm. lost money since it came mm-hmm. out in 2018. They're not expecting it to be profitable by 2025, and they're expecting their combined losses to be around $965 million by 2027. And I guess there was sort of, you know, this is a big PC topic because a lot of people are having to use the Epic Game Store for some games today, like Alan Wake 2, for example, Fortnite games where, that are not available on Steam. And they had this idea that, they were going to buy all these exclusives and that would lead to 50% of all PC gaming sales. But just judging by what they're saying, it kind of hasn't worked at all for them. The Epic Game Store, while not the worst game client, I suppose you'd call it, it's it's still nowhere near as good as Steam, in my opinion. I don't know what yeah. your opinion is there of it. Uh, Steam's just, it's, so, so first of all, um, not to sound like a Steam fanboy or anything, because we absolutely want competition to Steam. You don't want one game platform to rule them all because then you end up with like a Microsoft Windows type situation where they can mm-hmm. kind of just do whatever they want. They can screw over game developers, they can screw over gamers, and really there's no alternative. Like you kind of just have to cop it. So we yep. we absolutely want a, a genuine contender to Steam. The problem is the Epic Game Store just it's not that and, and hasn't been yet. 
sort of I suppose we we hoped that it got as good. And what I look for in these things probably differs a bit to other gamers because you know, I'm I'm mostly testing games. I have a huge games library. But Steam's just so much better than all the competition for keeping your games updated. Uh, it's quick yep. and easy to navigate. It's it's easy to find your games. You can. It does a good job of separating the bloat, let's say, from yep. what gamers actually want, which is to find their games, load them, update them, do all that kind of stuff. So I feel like Steam is by far and away the gold. Well, it's the gold standard for that, and by a long shot, it, it, it's significantly better. So it doesn't shock me to hear that it's not profitable i guess first of all we'd have to explore like how does how does a game store make money right and really it's obviously from selling games uh and having gamers on the on their like what platform i suppose you would call it they're like yeah they're because steam almost in a way feels like and, and in some um ways it is its own like operating system because you know you can use it on certain devices as an operating system. Yeah, exactly. So there's that. So I guess that's why it feels like that. But within Windows, it's just so well organized and and laid out, in my opinion. And I don't think have they changed it too much over the years. It seems like it's Steam. you could almost call Steam a bit dated in the way it looks, but it, it just works. <laughs> Yeah, they've been impro- they they had a major update in terms of its like interface. I think it was a couple of years ago, and they've yeah, slowly yeah. Been I remember something like that. Was it things? Was it radically different? I don't remember. I remember mm. there was definitely some polish added to it. I think it's a coat of paint uh, type thing. Like the the general yeah. layout of things was the same, which obviously yeah, assists yeah. With navigation because you can remember all, where all the things are. Yeah, I don't know if it's one of those situations where it has changed quite dramatically, but because it's happened slowly over such a long period of time. It's in yeah. a, it's life and gone on notice, but it, regardless, it's it's very good to use. I use all of them daily a lot because it's kind of my job. I guess one way to put it is, and I think this this does relate back to gamers. If a game like Alan Wake Two comes out or whatever as an exclusive on the Epic Game Store, I'm constantly like, well, I I want it on Steam because for me personally, Steam again, you launch Steam. Oh, Alan Wake Two needs an update. Cool, it updates it. Whereas the Epic Game Store generally does that, but not always. And then what's like, what's Ubisoft's? Is it like, is it called Uplay now? Ubisoft Connect. U- yeah. Uplay. Um, yeah. That one's historically been awful for that. So I'll load the software up. I'll have it open for 10 minutes. I'll be like, okay, I've got to go test Rainbow Six Siege, for example. I click on it updating 10 gigabyte update i'm like why didn't you do this for the last 10 minutes while my internet connection's been doing nothing or at least notify me that there's a game update but it doesn't yep. do it until I don't, I don't know if they've changed that i haven't noticed no, i'm no, they pre- haven't. pretty sure they yeah. haven't changed that so i think that information is up to date whereas again you launch steam it gives you a list of the games that are scheduled to be updated it updates them you can you can update them straight away you don't really get caught out there. So in the morning, I'll open up Steam. I'll be like, okay, there's 20 game updates because I have like a hundred and something games installed. Do them all, and then I can get on with it. You open up, you know, you connect, and every time I click on a game, it's like, oh, now I've got to wait for this one to update. It's just crap. Yeah. So basically, I wait. If if I know there's a game that's going to be a, a temporary exclusive to one of the competing platforms, I will just wait and buy it on Steam. And I think a lot of people do that. Like they just, because whenever you Google, when's it coming to Steam? There's just countless people asking the same question. So that's not good for your game platform. So I think first and foremost, Epic Games needs to work out 
why is Steam so popular? Why do games flock mm-hmm. to Steam? And then work that out and then emulate that. Like, you know, basically essentially copy yeah. what they're doing right and try to improve it or, or whatever. But, like, their layout is so, like, what's the it's EA bad. one even? What's the EA one called these days? Because they're EA all the same. Play? It's like EA Play, Uconnect, Epic Games. Like, they're all kind of a clone it's it's like they've copied they've instead of going what's the gold standard what's the best which is Steam they've they've gone we need we need to copy EA and then EA is like copying <laughs> and they've all they've all copied the crap version because am I am I right in saying they're all remarkably similar in the way the games libraries laid yeah, out the they, features they, use, they have they use like a box art layout as sort of the default where each of the game has like a small text yeah, yeah. and then the the box art whereas Steam is more of a list. Yeah. So, well, and, and Steam, you can change the. the yeah, I think yeah, of the, I think the key to Steam is like the earlier versions of Windows that it is quite customizable to, mm-hmm. you know, and there's different modes in which you can view it and things like that. Whereas you don't really get that with the the competing software. They're just they're just janky. They're just not as good. Yeah. The updating games thing for me is a big one. When I go, like, I'm very similar to you, like. I've even rebought games that I already own on the Epic Game Store on Steam because it's that, it's that much better for testing and things like that. Like I think I rebought Hitman and a few other titles yeah, yeah. once they uh, came Control, across. all those yep. sort of games. Because, but even things that you would use as a gamer, like just backing up, copying your games to a new location, having multiple different game locations – like that's such a yep. breeze with Steam. Like you want to move a game from A to B, done. You want it's to back built up a game. Functionality, right? It's, like it just it just detects the game instantly, and you're done. Is that? And if yep. there's any updates that need to be applied, it detects the game. Yep, that's the Steam version of the game. There's an update mm-hmm. for that. Let's update it. Move on. Done. Try doing that with like the EA version or the other versions. It's, <laughs> it's horrendous. Some I, of those I, are so bad at doing I, I it. I think, yeah, I think Epic Games is really, really bad at that. The backing it's, up games. It's horrible. Are yeah. yeah. Ubisoft's, Ubisoft Connect's actually quite good at that. You can just, mm-hmm. they've got like a select it, the it directory. Says locate, yeah, locate game location yeah. or something like that. That that does work quite well. If your launcher doesn't have that, what are you doing? Like people these days, especially with like the cost of SSDs and things, it's quite likely they'll have like, maybe a one or two terabyte main SSD and then they've upgraded and they've bought a second two terabyte SSD or a four terabyte or something for more games. And on Steam, it's like all of those games, you can just one click change them from one SSD to the other SSD. Mm -hmm. It automatically detects where all your library locations are. So you'll even have like multiple tabs for like your C drive, D drive, E drive game libraries. And it, it just makes that so easy. Whereas with Epic, it's like, oh, it's, Again, I'm downloading a new game. It's defaulted to the C drive, but I actually want to put it on the D drive. Oh, I accidentally downloaded it to the wrong SSD, so it's <laughs> run out of space. Now I have to move it across. So then I have to like start the download, pause it, close Epic Games, copy it over, reopen it, hope that it redetects the, the game's downloaded. It's garbage. <laughs> and the I feel like don't want that. I feel like that's something that I value highly as a reviewer because I'm moving games a lot, I'm changing libraries and SSDs and PCs a lot. Mm-hmm. But even then, like I feel like that's a legit use case for just a casual everyday gamer. Like my actual gaming PC has two SSDs in it, each with its own set of game libraries on it because, you know, I needed more space. So I just added another SSD in. And yeah, Epic is just horrible for that. But the biggest issue 
even more than that is just how slow it is to do anything. Like mm-hmm. opening, it takes ages. I, I can't remember how many times I've clicked remember me for my username and password credentials and it has never once remembered my information. Like Steam, you log in once and it pretty much always that's just true. remembers that that's your PC. You've It's always logged in. It doesn't yeah, matter if you so restart true. or open it. Epic Games, mm-hmm. about... 10% of the time it remembers me, the other 90% of the time I need to enter my username and password again. Why have to, a remember me button if it doesn't <laughs> effing work? <laughs> to, to be fair, I, I don't have that problem too much with Epic Games, but I acknowledge that it can be a problem. To be fair, Epic Games is worlds better than Uconnect and the EA Play or whatever it is in that yeah, regard. Yeah. Like at least with the Epic Games Store, you can have it on your desktop PC, your work PC, your home theater PC, your phone, your tablet. You can have it installed in all of those locations and then using the same username, you can be logged into all of them at the same time, which is exactly what you can do with Steam. Except yep. with Uconnect, you can only be logged onto one device. It's a night If I have two systems, right, uh, say I'm, I'm testing CPUs on one and GPUs on the other, and one of the systems dares to open Uconnect, but it's open on the other one. It logs you out. It's unbelievable. Oh, and then, But not only do you have to just... It, it's not even as convenient. The, the inconvenience isn't even as convenient as being able to click a button like log in and it do, does it. If you get logged out because another account has logged in, you then have mm-hmm. to enter your username and password and go through all of that crap again. Mm-hmm. And then if you do that, without having logged out on the other one and closed the app completely, it then logs that one out and that one needs... It's just ridiculous. And EA does the same stuff. It's like your your apps are garbage. The flexibility and convenience they offer gamers is garbage. They're just bad. Um, but like we were talking about earlier, for example, like Borderlands 3 Control, another big thing when you were talking about like being able to install them on secondary ssds or whatever it may be that's one level of convenience right but if you have uh like a home server and nas some sort of file server where you have like you know fast ssds maybe 10 gigabit network whatever it may be but you have a central hub for all your games you can do that with steam so i can install one copy of borderlands 3 on my server with high speed ssds and i can run borderlands 3 from my server through steam right you you can't do that on the epic game store it won't allow you to have them you need like an iSCSI target which is no good for multiple different devices but i can install borderlands 3 once in my house and my daughter can play it from that source at the same time i'm playing it and there's no performance degradation there like it just it just works so that's kind of cool as well like steam is a central hub for all of your games and multiple different users can be accessing the same copy of the game at the same time, and there's no hiccups, there's no issues. It just works flawlessly. And I've been doing this for years, no problems at all. Uh, same thing like with my Steam games, I have them on on my NAS that ha- is, it has SSDs, 10 gigabit network, and if I update Borderlands 3 or Control or whatever game it may be on my Steam account, it's updated for all of the computers that use Steam. Hmm. But with the Epic Game Store, Fortnite gets an update, 20 gigabyte update like it did last week. I have to download that 20 gigabyte update multiple different times. I mean, I could download it once and then manually try and copy it over all the other oh, ones. Good and luck. Maybe, that, yeah, maybe, that, maybe that will work. Probably not. But my point is, 
they have to have Fortnite installed in six different locations. So it, Fortnite in my test system setup, and I, again, I realize this doesn't apply to all gamers, though again, you might have a home theater PC you game from and a desktop PC you game from. You have to pay for storage to install this game two, three, four, five, six times. Again, if it was on Steam once, yeah, and you only have to download it once. It ties up your internet connection for 20 gigabytes the one time and you're good to go. So, well, Steam also now has that feature where it does local it game transfers yeah, as well. Right. So you download yeah. it once, you leave the PC on, you go to your secondary PC, you click install, it does a local copy, which for mm-hmm. most people's internet connections would be faster and it you mm-hmm. know, isn't using bandwidth. So yeah, like if Fortnite was on Steam for you and even if you didn't have a central server set up, you would install it the first time on your PC and then your daughter's PC, you'd click install and it would just do a local copy so it's and i know that's a more recent feature yeah, yeah but it's flexibility what we're talking about there's they already do these things so much better and they're already in the lead there but they're like okay let's add more flexibility let's make this more convenient let's make it better and they seem mm-hmm. to be very good at doing that uh i've got this, very few complaints about steam and the, yeah. it's if it's a race, Steam is so far out in front, you can't even see the competitors. And that's not a good thing. Like, I want another game store that is competitive with Steam mm-hmm. because we don't want Steam to be the only option. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think the issue that the Epic Game Store's had is that their strategy has been we're going to get people across to using the Epic Game Store because we're going to buy exclusives and offer yeah. free games. Yeah. And, you know, exclusives, it's like ideally I'd want games to be available on all platforms. So I'm not the biggest fan of exclusives, but I can understand it from a business perspective. And for developers, you know, the deals that are on offer there can often be, you know, actually allow them to make the game that they want to make. The free games, obviously, that's, you know, a very compelling, you know, thing for gamers. But all of those things cost a lot of money. Like buying exclusives is, you know, that's millions and millions of dollars. Buying free games for your store, millions upon millions of dollars and for some reason, they've invested all that money. Like they're saying they're going to lose $965 million in basically a decade of running the store. Yeah, and yet they haven't once thought, maybe we should employ like a couple of more developers to, <laughs> to make, make a good the store, store better. Like, it's like- make, make the app good first and then buy the exclusives. Like if your whole plan is we want 50% of PC game sales and you're going to, you know, you get people in the door by offering the free games, by offering the exclusives so they're forced to use the store and then your plan is, well, we want people to be incentivized, they're going to see what it's like, where they're going to use it. Why make it crap? Like it's crazy. you have to make it good. The strategy yeah, only yeah. works if the store is actually good and worth using. And all the features we've been talking about, they're not even like... Like some people complain about things like the achievements that you can get with games, the more sort of, you know, the gamery side of things like the achievements, the the chat functionality, those things like your friend list. All of those things are common things people say are much better on Steam as well. And we've just been sitting talking for 10 minutes about just basic stuff like downloading oh, games, copying de- games. Definitely things we haven't even covered. Um, the, the more you yeah. think about it, the more you come up with. But essentially what you're saying is, if I'm hearing you correctly, is make the game store good and the mm-hmm. gamers will come. <laughs> it's I like, think that's right, yeah. Like- they've gone the opposite way. It's like they've sat down, they're like, all right, guys, our game store sucks and we have no intention of making it any better, so we need a workaround. And they're like, free games and exclusives. That, that'll work. It's like, yeah, we could spend hundreds of millions of dollars doing that, or how much is it going to cost to make the game store good? They're like, 
not feasible. <laughs> Go with the hundreds <laughs> of millions of dollars worth of exclusive and free games. Kind of crazy, isn't it? You would think it's yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's wild. It's like saying I want to become a YouTuber and mm-hmm. I want to build a successful tech channel. So rather than focus on good camera gear, um, good testing a good presentation, making a good video. I'm going to skip all that because that seems too hard and I'm just going to invest all of that money in buying stuff to give away and I'll grow my audience by giving them free hardware so then they'll flock to me, which can kind of work, but it's not organic growth and therefore it ultimately fails. And I think the way Epic Games has gone about it, which what we're talking about is it's not organic growth. People aren't yep. willingly coming to EA GameStop because like, hey, this is pretty good. This is as good as Steam, saying mm. you know, better than Steam might have been a stretch to achieve, but this is comparable to Steam. It's pretty good and you know, it's got some great games on it. I like the free games that you get. I mean, honestly, you don't even need to offer that kind of stuff if you just have a good game store. It might have been enough to have a good game store and just be like, we're giving back to developers more than Steam is. I think that's a key point as well. Like... The thing that's really surprised me is that on Steam, you know, they say that um, you know Steam takes about a thirty percent cut. I think it depends on the level of sales that you get. Like, there's different performance mm-hmm. targets that change the revenue split, but generally, Valve takes a thirty percent cut on Steam, whereas Epic only takes a twelve percent cut mm-hmm. on the Epic Game Store. And yet, how, how often have we seen games being cheaper on the Epic Game Store because of this? Like, never. Like, where's the incentive no. to to buy, like... That's an incentive for developers, not for gamers. But I would have thought, like, if you're a developer and you want your to make the most money from your game, wouldn't you be incentivizing people to go over to the Epic Game Store and buy the game for, let's say, $65, as opposed to buying it for $70 on Steam because they actually make more money from the $65 sure. style on Epic? But yep. what we've seen is that no developers are willing to do that because incentivizing sales on Epic is, I guess, a losing strategy. Like they're more willing to take the higher, you know, to sacrifice more money to Valve to get their games on Steam than they are to say, hey, everyone, go over to the Epic Game Store. And I think as well, Epic were probably gunning for that angle. Like they were thinking, well, we're offering developers a better split. So surely that will mean they're going to try and encourage gamers to use our store, buy our games on Epic because it's cheaper and we make more money. But that just hasn't happened, and I'm guessing it's because Epic has such a bad reputation with the game store that they're not willing to take the marketing hit by saying, hey, you know, the best platform for this is the Epic Game Store, or only offering it on Epic or offering it at a cheaper price on Epic and, you know, deprioritizing Steam. Like, they're just not, like, it's crazy they're not doing that. It well, just it shows all- how bad the situation is. Yeah, there's a lot of layers. Like, if Alan Wake 2 was on Steam, so let's just talk about a popular game that's on both mm-hmm. platforms. Does the additional revenue you make on Epic, the Epic Game Store amount to anything? Like if you're selling 10 times or whatever the figure might be on Steam, which wouldn't shock me if that was the case, you're still making more money off Steam, right? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter yeah. that the revenue split is greater on the Epic Game Store if you're, yeah. if you're overall making less money. And really these days you, you want to sell – you want to sell more copies at a lower margin, in my opinion, especially if it's a game that needs a community to work, like a mm-hmm. multiplayer game. There's no point getting big fat margins and selling less copies because ultimately the game's going to die anyway and you'll make less yeah. money over time off it. What would make sense is to have both, you know, have it available on both Steam and Epic. 
you would sell the Epic copy for a little less and you'd encourage people to buy it on Epic instead of Steam. But even even developers aren't doing that. Like it's it's pretty much most games are available at the same price on Steam or mm-hmm. Epic. It's a bit bizarre there, but I, I yeah, I think it all comes down to the actual like it's gotten such a bad reputation over the years and they haven't been able to turn that around. Like everyone's like oh, you know, the free games are nice, but I'm not going to use it for anything else. It's like, well, that's well not in your strategy. opinion, what's the second best game store? It's a it's a tough one. I don't, I, I quite like Ubisoft Connect's ability to find my games and not have to re-download them. But I think in overall functionality, it's probably GOG. GOG Galaxy um, works quite GOG, well. I, I find GOG and Epic pretty similar or am I miles off base saying that? I think the, the thing that's turned... Um, gets me over the line with with GOG is that first of all it can find your games you, you can locate them quite easily so that that is works well but mm. also it has the functionality built in where you can have all your games from other stores integrated into the app so mm. not not saying everyone would use that feature but compared to mm. it, like an epic game store you know you can buy games on steam or GOG or any other platform that you see fit being the best option for you and then launch them all from the one application now you can use play night which is another app that that does that for you but that seems like a huge miss for me from epic games where you know another competitor that's not steam that sells games and is trying to do things differently has built in this kind of unique selling point to their store Mm -hmm. and to their application which is yeah please buy the games from gog but if you have this big steam library no problems you can launch them from our app. Like, that's all good, all fine. You're going to have to have Steam installed, obviously, but, you know, at least you can have all your games in the one place. Whereas with Epic, it's like, your Steam library, that's irrelevant to us. Like, we don't care. Like, go to that other second-rate app if you're using Epic. Like, we're not going to mm. bother trying to give gamers an option to switch over more painlessly. Like, Because that's mm. what I feel like God Galaxy has done, which is offer people that painless transition to a different platform. And Epic just, that, that's another feature that is like, nah, can't be bothered. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what would you say is the second best? Admittedly, I, I haven't got enough experience with a lot of the other clients like GOG, for example, to to really make a, or have a valid opinion on that. From the, the main ones I use, which is Steam, the Epic Game Store, Uconnect, and EA Play, mm-hmm. in my opinion, the Epic Game Store is by far and away second best out of those four. Uh, and then... Okay. Then it would be then it would be you connect and then it would be the the EA store. The EA store is like last by a country <laughs> mile. Like EA I, is I, I, I it, it's last by so far. I I don't know don't mm-hmm. know what words to use. And then the Microsoft store being the just My, that doesn't even rank. That's not even a store. It's just garbage. It's so yeah. it's a steaming pile of garbage that has like think, store written on the bin. I think of the Ubisoft and EA, they're kind of like the the vendor exclusive stores, right? Like you you yeah. basically buy Ubisoft games through the Ubisoft Connect. Mm-hmm. I think I'd probably have Battle Battle.net as the best of those for Activision games. I tend to find that loading that, um, you know, That's while true. the games yeah. are quite large, it has the ability to locate games. It always just immediately updates all games when you when you load the app. The interface is it's fast to load. You load into games pretty easily. And yeah, you know, it's not really designed as you buy every single game through Battle.net, but if you do buy a game like Call of Duty or Overwatch or uh, Diablo through Battle.net, it tends to work fine enough. Um, yeah, I, I used to use... Steam, but yeah, yeah. When, I, when I used to play StarCraft 2 a lot, obviously I spent a lot of time, you know, loading up Battle.net and I always found that to work quite well. Uh, but yeah, it, it obviously 
it's not quite in the same league with what it offers, I think, as yeah, sort of like the Epic Game Store, for example. It's got um, basic but, functionality, but they've yeah, at least yeah. nailed the basics, which yes. can't reset yeah. Epic. Yeah, it seems more polished. The Epic Game Store thing's just really weird. Again, it's a bit perplexing because you and I are sitting here going, this is so obvious, guys. Like, make your store good and the rest takes care of itself. Like, it's so easy, yeah. right? Like, I'm sure it's easier said than done, but come on. And it blows my mind a bit because games like Fortnite are still, like, a huge success after all of these years. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Fortnite or you think you're familiar with Fortnite but you don't know why it's so popular, the reason why Fortnite is so popular is because the game is constantly updated in a major way it's kept fresh. There's there's new guns. The map changes. The gameplay evolves. They keep adding to it. They keep and and you know they might take bits from other games. You know a bit of a bit of movement borrowed from say Apex Legends. They'll look at other games, see what they're doing right, what makes their game so fun, integrate that into Fortnite, and it's like a, almost like a copy and paste job on like all the cool stuff. And Fortnite has its own certainly its own unique stuff, but it's constantly updated it's constantly kept fresh there is so much work put into it and i don't see that with the epic game store it's just it's quite strange and then you know fortnite has the creative modes and the, the, it's just games within games within games like it's it's insane how how big it is i'm not seeing that kind of development with the epic game store like has the epic game store really changed in the last few years i don't They've think added so a has few it? things but not really yeah, also how how crazy is it that Fortnite is one of the biggest games on the planet? You have to use the Epic Game Store to launch it. And that also has not driven any other sales to Epic Game Store for other games. Mm-hmm. Like people are forced to, like, let's say you play Fortnite and other games. Mm-hmm. People are lo- launching Epic Game Store to play Fortnite. And at no point are they like, yeah, this is a good store. I'm going to get all my other games from this place, even though I'm required to install this. No mm-hmm. one does that. No. Like, but, it's just such a missed opportunity. Like between the exclusives, Fortnite, the free games, how have they, like it's mind-blowing that they have squandered that because of the actual features yeah. and quality of the application. Like it's crazy that they have not been able to, like it's, it, the fact they're going to lose nearly $1 billion on this blows crazy. my yeah, mind. Yeah, but it's all because of like, it's very simple, guys, as we've been saying, like, make your game store good and the gamers will come. And they either think their game store is good and doesn't need work. Which they're uh, wrong. (laughs) They're very wrong if that's the case. Like, I, I guess it's hard to really talk about this without knowing, like, where are they coming from? Like, what are their thoughts on their game store? What? Yeah. What's their mission here? Like, what are their objectives? What are they What are they working on to improve or add or change? Or is it just going to look like this for the next few years? In which case, they're never going to turn a profit. They're never going to capture gamers with a very subpar product. Steam's free to install. The Epic Games Store is free to install. So it comes down to the usability, the flexibility. Which one causes you more grief in your life? And if it's constantly like, oh, I've built a new computer, now I've got to re-download all of my games and try and move things, that's just a headache. Whereas with Steam, you just like put my SSD in, add that to the the games library. Oh, there's everything. Click, I'm playing my game. 
Like that's what gamers want. Gamers don't want to sit there thinking, oh, how do I move this game from A to B? Or, you know, why is my game not updated? Or why have I been logged out of my client? Why do I have to do my two-factor again? Like they don't want that. They just want to fire it up, click on the icon. Okay, there it is. There's my game. Click that. Now I'm in my game playing with my friends. That's what they want. It's so simple. I think it's time to move on to our second topic, which is AMD ending support. Not sure if it's ending, retiring, reducing driver support for older GPUs, specifically from the Polaris and Vega generation. So I'm going to read a quote here from uh, AMD that was published on Anantech, which says, and this is their statement about this, the AMD Polaris and Vega graphics architectures are mature, stable, and performant and don't benefit as much from regular software tuning. Going forward, AMD is providing critical updates for Polaris and Vega-based products via a separate driver package, including important security and functionality updates as available. The committed support is greater than for products AMD categorizes as legacy, and gamers can still enjoy their favorite games on Polaris and Vega-based products. So it sounds like they're not going to be integrating game-specific optimizations into these mm. new drivers, but they will be, you know, if there's any security issues or potential functionality those will still be available as opposed to their legacy products, which are more like, here's the final driver for this and good luck. Good luck. luck. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on this? Because immediately I think about how there's some pretty new products that use Vega that are just being thrown in the trash, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't really follow the laptop stuff, but there's the Ryzen 7030 series that was announced. I think it was announced late last year, but it was released in January of this year. Are products using yeah, that? I and that's, so. that's that's fifth generation GCN, which is you know, RX Vega graphics. So they've released products that use those graphic architectures this year that presumably will no longer be receiving game optimization updates just security yeah. updates that can't be right though can it like they can't be doing that for products they've just released in the last year or this year or am i wouldn't put it past amd to have done that because it sounds like something that they would do i mean yeah. like for products like the rx580 you know vega gpus th those were released in 2017 2018 they're five six years old and Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I sort of think okay, Nvidia That's probably reasonable. They, yeah, they technically support GPUs back to Maxwell, I th which was released in 2014. I think it's questionable how many specific game optimization work is being done for a Maxwell GPU mm -hmm. in 2023. I think zero, zero or very limited. Like they they including yeah. the supported list, so you know it's hard to know for sure. But at least they you know there's a bit of a difference there in terms of support. But I think you know. RX 580, Vega GPUs, they're old enough now that, you know, you're probably going to be considering upgrading most of the time. Like, they're not the most powerful products. They are going to struggle to run games just based on their hardware. So it, it, that doesn't concern me too much. Like, six-year-old product, you've had a good run. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it's things like Ryzen 5000 G series desktop processors. Those, mm -hmm. those have got integrated Vega GPUs and they were released, what, like two years ago? You, mm -hmm. you brought up the 7030 series mobile and there's plenty of other mobile GPUs. That's obviously because they keep refreshing older Zen architectures to newer series. Um, but they are released on effectively brand new systems today that mm -hmm. will not be getting ongoing support. And I guess you could make the, the argument as well that a 7030 series laptop GPU is probably not going to be fast enough to actually run games that would benefit from 
driver optimization. But it's kind of like, it's, it's just a marketing thing as well. Like having a product released and then within the same year stopping driver support, it's just a bad look. Mm, it's like, not good. I would have thought that you, you'd probably just continue supporting this in the main driver path, but then not necessarily adding in additional software support for la- the latest games and stuff, which mm-hmm. I assume is what NVIDIA is doing with Maxwell, was they're making it like a separate driver package and a separate driver path. Like what's the, what's the point of that? Why couldn't it just be one driver package still? Yeah, it's a question you have to ask them, but it doesn't seem to make sense. I agree. Yeah, it seems uh, like it's extra work, only going to be negatively received by people with those products. Just seems like you're shooting yourself in the foot there for no reason, which I guess is a sort of an AMD thing to do. So as you Mm -hmm. say, it's not terribly surprising. One angle that I'd be thinking of is maybe they're trying to cut down the validation work across the portfolio of products they have. Because for example, if they released the main normal driver, and let's say they're releasing... 15 driver updates a year for that and then on this legacy older driver the separate driver package for Polaris and Vega maybe they only release four or five updates a year or even one or two updates that means that they can cut out the validation work for 15 driver updates on older products and only do that validation work for one update in the year which would cut out a lot of work Mm. is that really a significant factor for them especially considering cards like the rx 580 you know that was a very popular product i would have Mm -hmm. thought that you'd want to encourage the the owners of you know that they invested in a product like that knowing that you know they're going to get the most premium long-lasting support that that would be a really good sort of marketing feature for them sort of saying you know hey, if you bought that RX 5A, yeah, it's still supported today, still a great product. You made the right choice buying an AMD Radeon GPU back in 2018. But now, you know, we've got these new options for you. You can buy an RX 7600, you can buy a 7800 XT or whatever and continue to enjoy our products. But now they're sort of saying, well, (laughs) you know, move to a separate driver package and yeah, maybe this will happen in the future for you. Yes, not a huge issue, but at the same time, I'm not a fan of it. I don't think they should be doing it. Definitely kills the resale value of those products as well. The main reason I'm against it is because, yeah, they've been releasing products up until this year, which is pretty, this year is pretty recent. They've got to support those products. Really, it, the, the five, if they want to do five years of support, that, that effectively starts from the last time you release that product. Yeah, and so, they kind of, in some ways, shot themselves in the foot again by continuing to release Vega-based products up until this year. Mm-hmm. Because if they sort of started to say, well, you know, our GPUs have only got five years of driver updates, therefore now, you know, Vega, Polaris-based GPUs are starting to, you know, the desktop GPUs, I mean, are starting to become unsupported, but we're still continuing to support the Ryzen Mobile 7030 series and Ryzen 5000G desktop series, people are going to put two and two together and be like, well, why aren't you supporting my Vega GPU from 2017 when the 5000G uses the exact same architecture and that's supported? So, well, it yeah, by, no sense. Yeah, by having that architecture available for so long, like, continue, like mm-hmm. what, six to eight years of products released on that same mm-hmm. architecture, yeah, they're kind of committed to almost support that for... 12, 13 years of driver updates, which sounds crazy. Like that's a very long time, but five but years beyond to. a product release today is is that sort of, that. those are the numbers, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't know, like I'd be just, I guess my disappointment would depend on whether I bought a 580 or a 7030 series product. 
Um, but yeah, I think the the writing was on the wall here with with this a bit. They're, they've started to do this over the last few little bits, trying to branch off the older GPUs into a new driver package, and yeah, not mm-hmm. not ideal there, not ideal. We had a reader mail this week. I'm not going to say mm-hmm. it's a Q and A Q&A question because we do have a Q and A series on Hard Run Box. So, reader mail, let's say from QH Freddy in our Discord community. And I thought this would be an interesting topic to discuss because it's a bit meta because we're YouTubers. But recently, YouTube has been more aggressively limiting ad block on the platform. Mm-hmm. So I think now I have YouTube Premium, so I'm actually not super familiar with what happens. But I believe when you're logged out or you don't have YouTube Premium support and you're running an ad blocker on your web browser, you go to watch a video, it now tells you that you have to either whitelist YouTube or disable your ad block to be able to watch the video. Um, previously, if you had ad block, you could just watch YouTube videos and you know they wouldn't serve you ads because they're being blocked. But now they're sort of saying, hey, we want, we want your revenue. So I thought it'd be interesting to discuss this as YouTubers that sort of, mm-hmm. you know, are part of this situation. Obviously, ad block has an impact on revenue. I would not that I've really looked into it too much, but I would imagine that it would. So do you have any initial thoughts on YouTube increasing their dislike for Adblock? My personal view is they probably shouldn't do it. I don't think it's going to mm-hmm. work out well for them. So it's, it's yeah, I, it, like I get it. They want to make money and by serving you content effectively for free, it's costing them money to do so um, through, you know, they're going to pay for their infrastructure, their bandwidth, all that kind of stuff. And in my opinion, it's a bit of a miracle YouTube works as well as it does because it's sort of a technical marvel. So I get that they need to make money, right, to support that. But how, yeah, and it's hard for me to have an opinion on this because I don't know, like, how much was people using Adblock affecting their bottom line? I know the company's not really profitable. Well, the the service isn't slightly profitable now, like minor amounts of profit. Okay. Well, that's good then. Um, I know they've been struggling with profitability. Mm-hmm. Without knowing the percentage, how many people were using Adblock, I don't know how detrimental it was to their business model. Like, was it absolutely slaying them and it was going to be the end of YouTube if they didn't take action? So, I don't know. I'm, I'm not really for it, to be honest. Uh, but it's it's hard to have like a you know a concrete opinion without knowing all of the facts because obviously we don't want YouTube to fail because that would be <laughs> bad and I watch pretty much I pretty much watch all of my content on YouTube these days I don't really watch anything else but I pay for YouTube premium so you know I don't need mm-hmm. to use an ad blocker yeah I think I have similar thoughts to you on this I think that'd be I can see people especially YouTubers being very firmly in the camp of this is good because I could see some people coming from the angle of well you know if I'm getting views but then those views are not actually being served ads, then any potential increase in that sort of audience mm. into being served ads is potentially a net benefit because, yeah, let's say you're having a video that got 100,000 views, but 50,000 of those views were not being served ads because they're run with ad block. And then let's say in the future, you know, now we're getting, I don't know, 55,000 views, but all of those are monetized, then you're actually better off with the lower view count that's you know, from a, at least a monetary perspective based on AdSense, you're better off in that second scenario. So I guess YouTube's weighing up, you know, 
there's going to be a hit to viewership, I would imagine, is people be like, I can't be bothered with this. You know, I don't like the YouTube experience with that ads. I'm going to just not watch YouTube anymore. They're sort of weighing that up and going, well, we're going to do that because, you know, the potential to get a 5% conversion on ad blocked, you know, views is going to be beneficial to us overall. I think that some people, I'm not saying I would come with that full opinion, but some YouTubers would have that opinion that it's going to benefit them. Yeah. I, I just to jump in, I definitely yep. do not have that opinion. I'm yeah, more than happy yep. for our audience to use an ad blocker. I'm just happy mm-hmm. they're watching our content and hopefully enjoying it. Uh, so that's, yep. that's my first and foremost priority there. Uh, and mm-hmm. then if they want to support us on float plan or Patreon, that's great. If they want to watch the ads to support the channel, that's great. But if they don't want to do that, I'm, I'm just as happy for that to happen um, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, they're adding value to your content anyway, by viewing it. Like that's not nothing for us. So I I'm coming at it from a different perspective to YouTube, but mm-hmm. I, I'm happy to lose money to have people still watch the content. Yeah. And I think at, at least for us as well, like YouTube AdSense is only one part of our revenue stream. And I think that that's the case for most YouTubers, at least in our position. I imagine mm-hmm. smaller YouTubers probably are more heavily relying on AdSense but these days we have things like Amazon affiliate links and in-stream ads that we sell to, you know, we deal with companies directly to put those ads in the videos. And those are based on just general viewership. Like whether you've mm-hmm. got, like I know there are utilities you can use to like block sponsored ads, uh, but mo- that's obviously much more niche feature than general ad block. And then things just like affiliate links are just generally based on the viewership of the video. Like the more people that watch, the more likely you are to get someone clicking on an affiliate link and making a purchase. You know, things like a monitor recommendation videos is one example where those videos are significantly funded by, you know, affiliate links. Mm-hmm. So if YouTube is sort of cutting off that side of things, like saying, well, don't watch the videos because we want AdSense, but we're actually benefiting from things like affiliate links and in-stream ads and getting people to sign up to Patreon or, you know, the more eyeballs you get, the more likely someone is to potentially do that you mm-hmm. know those are all going to affect the total experience and the total revenue that we get from youtube videos and the you know how happy we are with people enjoying the content so if this is sort of turning people off from watching videos on youtube and they're less likely to watch then we're impacted in all those other ways and that's why i totally agree with you that i'm pretty much against that sort of situation i am fine with people using ad block and i, I know I, i've heard some comments from can't remember who's, who said it, things like, you know, using ad block is effectively stealing and it's pirating content. I, I don't agree with that. Even as someone that, you know, back working for Textbot, my salary was effectively funded entirely by ads that could be blocked via ad block. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's kind of odd, isn't it, that I'm sitting here saying, well, part of my money that I make to support me and my family comes from this ads, but I'm actually okay with you not viewing the ads, it's kind of an interesting perspective, but I guess it comes from, you know, we've diversified our income to the level where it's not mm. like, and, you know, we talked previously in episodes about how it's not like we're scrounging for money. We're fairly well off. We have access mm-hmm. to plenty of things. We're doing just fine. So by having, you know, a certain portion of our audience using ad block and not watching those ads, it's like, well, oh, my second Lambo that I was going to buy is just, you know, it's out of the question now. <laughs> like, that's the sort of position, I guess. Yeah, I guess my ultimately my thought on it is it seems pointless and, if anything, counterproductive to their end goal. 
because people who are using ad block, I would have thought is the minority of viewers anyway. That's an assumption on my mm-hmm. behalf, but regardless. Oh, it, it would be simply because most people view on phones and phones are unable but, to use ad block in the same way. So Yeah, but regardless of that, that situation, people who are using ad blockers have gone out of their way to do so. Like they've mm-hmm. looked up and added an extension to their browser or they're using a specific browser that has it built in. Uh, most people use stuff like Chrome and Firefox. So they've put an extension. That they, they've they've actively gone and added that functionality to their experience to not view ads. Now, by you trying to force that person, you just you're not going to be able to because the, first of all, the ad blockers are incentivized to exist and function, so they're just going to mm. continue to work. It's it's like it's that arms race of we've made the. We've made ad block detection better. Well, we've made ad blockers better. Well, we've made ad detection better. Yeah. And we've made blockers better. And it just keeps going on and on. And people who don't want to watch ads and want an ad block will always seek out the better ad blocker. So, I mean, if YouTube wants to get into that war with ad blockers, I mean, I guess good luck to them. I, I don't see it as ever being a winnable war. And you're not convincing the people that use them to change their opinion habits or whatever it is. They don't want to watch ads, so they're not going to, and they're not they're not going to be forced in being like, oh well, I've been defeated by YouTube, so I guess I'll buy YouTube Premium. Like that's almost never going to happen. They might get a very small majority. It's like back when they used to pirate video games heavily, or you know, pirate music. Remember MP3s? Remember everyone used to just yep. pirate music back in the day, and Get it was because <laughs> yeah, it's because no one wanted to pay for a CD that had a couple of songs on it that they liked. Some, in some cases, one song they liked, and then have to like change CDs. It was super inconvenient. This this all ties in with what we were talking about with the Epic Game Store. People don't mm-hmm. want to pay for things that are very inconvenient. They want to pay for convenience. So that's mm-hmm. why stuff like uh, Spotify. Google Music, all that stuff's hugely popular because you can just pay a fee every month and get to listen to whatever music you want to listen to and you don't have to keep changing media files or formats or whatever. So that, like, that was so bad. I mean, obviously, you know, it was limited by technology. But as mm-hmm. the technology evolved to make it better and more flexible, that's what people did. It wasn't really... Be- For me, pirating music wasn't because it was necessarily free it's because it was way more convenient to listen to the music i wanted to listen to right and i think that's why most people did it but as soon as there was a service where i could pay money to get effectively the same thing i just did that like yeah like i I, I legitimately I, i i honestly can say for a long time now i've pirated nothing no no content of really any yeah i i pay for streaming services because it's it's convenient now. I'm I'm happy with it. I get what I want at a reasonable fee for the most part. Like, okay, if I could if I could pirate Foxtel, would I do it? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, that's no very comment. specific, but that's yeah, very bad. Yeah, service. but I, I yeah. pay a, I pay a lot of money for bad service for one thing I want to watch. So that sucks. So again, yeah. if if there was someone that came in and could shake up that monopoly, um, mm-hmm. yeah. but anyway. Uh, what we're we talking about ad blockers. Yeah. So I, think- <laughs> I was going to say, if YouTube want to convince people not to use ad blockers, they've really got to find a way to make what they're trying to block less intrusive or inconvenient to mm-hmm. what it is they want to do. And I think this is I- kind of, it's almost mixed in with YouTube's general, well, it's actually not even YouTube, it's Google's general revenue stream, which is, 
Google makes a lot of money from ads on the web. So, mm. and this is across all websites. It's not YouTube, just YouTube. It's they ha- they sell ads on many, many, many websites, and they have yeah. ads obviously in Google search and stuff. And so, a lot of people over the years have been more and more annoyed with how intrusive these ads are on websites. Mm. It went from pretty simple ad integrations to, I mean, the the web experience on some websites is disgusting these days with the amount of pop-ups, <laughs> auto-playing bad, yeah. videos. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's horrible. And YouTube, not YouTube, Google makes money from that. And so over the years, people have been more and more incentivized to use Adblock to get around that. And so now it's coming back to bite them with YouTube because I think that there would be some people that would use a, an ad block on websites, but not on YouTube, but it's just more convenient to download the ad blocker that blocks everything. Basically, if Google didn't make all these super intrusive, annoying ads across the web as a whole, it's potentially the case that people wouldn't find the need to use ad block on a website like YouTube because they wouldn't just be using it by default. They might not even use it at all across the whole web. But because Adblock these days is just a one-click, you download it, everything is blocked, now they're finding themselves losing out on that revenue on YouTube. Because I think YouTube ads are not amazing, but they're far less intrusive in my opinion than pop-up annoying ads as I'm trying to read text on a website on my phone. Like that's the worst experience. Mm -hmm. So I I sort of see it as, yeah, them sort of shooting themselves in the foot with that. But on top of that, like YouTube now is not just about ad revenue for them. Like they make money through other means they've got channel memberships as one option for people they've got premium as well and premium doesn't just block ads it gives you additional features that you can use like i think you can play videos in the background on your phone and things like that with premium and that's a a sort of premium exclusive feature you know they've Mm -hmm. got things like super chat and super thanks for live streams and videos these are all ways that they're sort of making money outside of ads on the youtube platform and yeah by turning people away from watching videos, people are not going to be doing super thanks on a live stream. They're not going to be signing up for channel memberships. So I guess they're sort of weighted up that maybe they can make slightly more money doing it this way. But over the over the years, if they're trying to grow things like YouTube Premium is not just an ad remover, but also the go-to source for all of the premium additional functionality that they're developing... They're going to need people that are interested in YouTube in the first place to get people to spend money on YouTube premium. Like if you're a new, like let's say you're you're growing up, you're quite young and you're sort of like, oh, this YouTube experience is kind of gross. Like I have to turn off my ad block. I'm just going to watch videos on TikTok. And then it comes to later on and they're like, well, we need more YouTube premium members and they're trying to incentivize people to sign up to YouTube premium. Well, they're not going to be a member if they never use YouTube. Like that person is just a lost cause now. I see it as they've, well, in my opinion, could be wrong. They've sort of shot themselves in the foot a few different ways. And it's funny you bring up TikTok because I think that's one way, like the YouTube shorts, like they're just not monetizable. (laughs) Like you have, yeah. and who's, who is honestly going to pay for YouTube premium to watch garbage shorts? Like, and let's be honest, most shorts are garbage. Like the vast majority of shorts are garbage. It's a monetization challenge because on YouTube, like with normal long form YouTube videos, you get served mm. one ad every, even with mid-roll ads, maybe every five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, let's say, and you, you're switching mm. between videos, you're watching a video, you get served an ad, then you watch the video. Mm. No one wants to watch a video ad in between every one minute video. Like no one's going to do that. No. And 
I, yeah, I guess that's frustrating as a creator that all this focus on shorts when, yeah, I'm fine for them to concede that to TikTok. Like mm-hmm. TikTok is doing their thing, YouTube's yep. doing their thing. And in my opinion, long form videos, it's not like they're being replaced by shorts and TikTok content. No. Like our content no. wouldn't work as a short. You know, movies and TV, sh- if TikTok was destroying things like TV shows, even though we're currently in the pretty much the best era ever for TV content, the the amount of mm-hmm. it that's being produced for all sorts of types of people, like it just proves that YouTube has its place doing what it does. Mm. And yeah, focusing on shorts and trying to get like trying to imitate TikTok while simultaneously then going and blocking ad blockers. And at the same time, they also raised the price of YouTube premium for some users, which is kind of a double whammy. Like it's not really a good look to... Mm. raise the price of a service and then cut out ad block. Like. Yeah, I, I think shorts uh, have been much more detrimental to YouTube as a platform than the ad blocking situation. I think shorts was a bad idea. I don't, I don't think it's going to work out well for them. I don't think it can be profitable. Like this is just my opinion. I could be miles off base here, but that that is my opinion. And I think their push for more mainstream content was a big mistake as well. I, I think they should have been promoting yeah. individuals, YouTubers, um, that's rather what the platform than, is. It's always that's what the been, platform is. That's right. So they're trying it, to make the yeah they're, they're trying to get away from the essence of what the platform is with all of these bad decisions, in my opinion, that that do hurt YouTube. So that that I'm more concerned with all of those sort of bad decisions, in my opinion, that they've made over the last few years than the the ad block situation. I, I yeah, I think I think the ad block situation has come about because of the dumb decisions they've made with like promoting mainstream media, traditional media over over YouTubers or independent people uh, and even our sort of work. And I think shorts is garbage just personally. I mean, that's a personal bias. I, I've i watched shorts from time to time and I just find them to be garbage and the shorts I get served are uninteresting. And then if I do watch like an interesting short about a cool car or something, I'm like, oh, that was cool. That got me interested. Where's the video? Where can I watch more of this? And before you know it, another short's playing. Like, you know, oh, it's just <laughs> crap. I, I just, I, yeah. I don't like anything about it. I've, I try to, disable and remove them as much as I possibly can from my YouTube experience. Yeah, I mean, one thing I'm very interested to have a look at over time will be, is there going to be a noticeable bump in the revenue for our channel um, pre mm-hmm. and post the ad block situation? Because, you know, our, the views have been pretty, I mean, views at the moment haven't been amazing, but that doesn't seem to have correlated with the ad block enable mm-hmm. sort of thing. No. But it'll be interesting to see over time, like if views are sort of similar, um, you know, are we going to be making more revenue but for me personally like all the things that we've been talking about still hold true even if i started making thousands more dollars personally because of this decision by youtube mm-hmm. i would still be in more in favor of giving the end user the choice to use youtube in the way that they want to use it of course it gets to a point where you know we have to be fair that YouTube does have to make the platform sustainable. They do need to be earning enough revenue from the platform as a whole to make the platform continue to work. So mm-hmm. it can't be the case where so many people are blocking ads that the whole mm-hmm. platform just crumbles and, and disintegrates. But I think that prior to this ad block situation, they had they'd sort of come up with this healthy balance between we can make enough revenue from people that don't block ads and all of our premium services and features and especially with the growing you know, prevalence of the experience on mobile, which again is much harder to block ads on, then you know YouTube can be sustainable that way. But they're sort of they've taken a platform that's potentially sustainable, and they've done that corporate. You know, we need unlimited growth, like we need profits to be 
you know, higher and higher every single year, which as we talked about in maybe it's even just the previous podcast about how we run our business and how it's not about let's make the line go up in infinitely and indefinitely and try and, you know, always get those, you know, revenue targets higher and higher. Like there is a, there is a sustainable level that a platform like YouTube could operate at where it's profitable or maybe revenue neutral and allows people to use the platform how they want to. So there's always that consideration of like, I'm not super keen on some executive in an office just saying like, hey, YouTube's making us 10% profit, but now we need it at 20% profit. It's like, I don't care. Like I literally do not care about that whatsoever. And I'd just rather people have the the YouTube experience that they want. So yeah, could be an interesting, maybe controversial take from YouTubers about how how YouTube works. Because I'm, like I said, I imagine that there's some YouTubers out there that have a very different uh, opinion on that. All right. Well, I was going to talk about in this podcast episode, Cyberpunk 2077, Phantom Liberty, the tech, not so much the game as in like a game review, but a lot of the tech in the game going through like path tracing, DLSS, mm. frame gen, ray reconstruction, how that actually impacted my 30 hour playthrough of that your, game. Your privileged, your privileged <laughs> RTX 4090 YouTuber experience. Yeah. Well, Is that may, what I'm not hearing? Be, may not be quite as positive on that experience okay. as you, as okay. you might think, but. Okay. Okay. We've already been going for an hour. I, I reckon I've got at least like half, maybe 20 minutes, half an hour worth Ooh. of discussion there. So we'll leave okay. that for a future podcast episode. Okay. Instead, we'll take a break and we'll come back. We'll talk about our boring lives. Steve, give me the updates. What's been happening? Oh, wow. How much time have you got? <laughs> <laughs> um, updates. Well, I think. I'll start by talking about something I've been working on work-related. Am I allowed to do that in my boring life? Um, yeah, depending is on that, how boring is it is. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty boring, I promise. So, <laughs> cool. uh, well, yeah, I probably shouldn't I probably shouldn't say that because it, it is and it isn't. Uh, one of the key features of Intel's 14th generation CPUs was the APO, the Intel Application Optimization Feature mm-hmm. Software Support. Quite interesting. I mentioned it in my review uh, but didn't test it. And I saw quite a few comments criticizing the likes of Gamers Nexus, us at Harbor Unboxed, and a few others for not looking at APO testing. It wasn't really supported by the time we got to test the CPUs. Like only some motherboards worked. The MSI board we used had no support at the time. It was sort of briefly mentioned by Intel, but didn't go Me. into depth. And there was only two games supporting yeah. it. Yeah. Two older games, right? Like they weren't even like new cutting edge titles, wasn't it? Like Metro, Metro, and Rainbow Six Siege. Yeah. Rainbow Six Siege makes sense. Okay. Like that's yeah, yeah, that's, that's generally a CPU limited game where people play at lower quality settings, so hmm. you will often be CPU limited there. Uh, so you know that makes sense. Metro Exodus makes absolutely no sense. Like it's not really a CPU limited game. It's heavily GPU limited. You're not playing. You're not playing Metro Exodus with low quality settings on high end hardware. That is for sure. So you're not buying a, yep. you know, a 14th generation CPU and pairing that with like, I don't know, a 1080 and playing it low. You're just pro- probably not doing that. But anyway, there was two games, largely wasn't supported. A lot of people couldn't get it working. So that is why Gamers Nexus, Harbor Unboxed, and everyone else basically didn't test it. But since then, a few people have tested it. They've they've found some big gains here and there. Uh, and so I thought, well, I should dedicate some content to this and look into it properly. Not saying that I haven't looked into it properly, but you know what I mean. Um, 
And one of the concerns I had was every single person who had tested it was using the built-in benchmark in either Metro Exodus or Rainbow Six Siege. And I was like, so what are like the the benefits of actually playing the game? Like, is the mm-hmm. same? Do those do the canned benchmark gains translate to actual in-game performance? And yeah, largely they do, so spoiler alert. But I had to look into that because it was a question I had and no one who'd done the testing yet had really answered it. Um, and so that content is coming hopefully, well, it might even be available by the time you watch this podcast. So I think it's probably scheduled to come a day or two after. It all depends. I've done, I've largely done my testing. I'm now waiting on Intel because I've put a few questions to Intel. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a few, I've, I, I imagine, fairly obvious questions like, one would be, when are we getting more games added to this two games list? It's kind of weird to me that they haven't, because look, APO works and it does boost performance depending on quality settings, how CPU limited are by like 10, 20%. So there are some pretty remarkable performance gains to be had there. That, that's a pretty cool feature. And if they could get that across a wide range of games, even 10%, that really puts the 1400k ahead of amd's best that's kind of a big Mm -hmm. deal so yeah the question is when when are we getting more games added to the list and the fact they haven't done that already and and the fact that they launched it in two kind of especially metro exodus being a weird title are they able to add this to other games did they did they go through a list of like 50 games and find two where it actually worked i don't know yeah that's what i'd be thinking is like because it's such a limited selection of games, you know, you, you can't draw too many conclusions by saying, oh, well, APO gives a 10% performance improvement in games where it's supported and then extrapolating that to the future, like the future assumption of, well, this will be included for all games, therefore all games will get a 10% performance improvement because if the sample size is only two and that's the two best examples or potentially other games are never going to work with it or don't provide any performance benefit through it, then yeah, you could be getting the wrong impression for that from that. So yeah, imagine if they could boost Starfield performance by ten or twenty percent because that game is heavily CPU limited in a lot of areas, uh, particularly yeah. where we benchmark. But Starfield wasn't there, so what it leads me to believe it's not possible to optimize for that particular title. And again, Metro Exodus being one of the one of the two games they launched it with suggests to me that this is a bit of a marketing stunt. But I've put it to Intel. I've asked them the question. They're yet to get back to me. Uh, I'll give them a few more days. Uh, I also asked them, is this a feature that they'll be supporting for future titles? Like if we get a AAA title launched in the next few months or whatever, will mm-hmm. APO be supported you know, out of the gate or soon after? So is it a feature we can expect them to be like actively adding to new games coming out or not? Uh, and then is there a technical reason for why 12th generation and 13th generation CPUs don't support APO? I'd love to get their answer on that one. Uh, <laughs> good, luck yeah. getting a, good luck getting a, an answer that fully explains that one. Well, I've asked them, uh, and I'm more than happy to include their their reason, their answer in my video. So there, there's some of the questions I've put to Intel. Haven't yep. got a response yet. Uh, it's been over a day, so I'll give them a few more. And at yeah. that point, it's kind of like... It's interesting the feature isn't even supported with some of the games I'd say are more... Not necessarily Intel sponsored, but Intel has put more work into and has um, had more of an integration with things like Hitman Three, for example. I think that was one of the first titles that supported XCSS. Um, Assassin's Creed Mirage is sort of a newer title that comes to mind that I think either is an Intel sponsored game or at least has a lot of Intel's 
features in the game and was sort of being talked about as being one of Intel's titles. So yeah, it's a bit surprising that yeah, while they are potentially getting GPU features into those games, that yeah, APO, yeah, launching in two tiles is very, it's it's odd, especially if that's supposed to be like a key selling point for a new generation. But then again, we've seen yeah. that with plenty of GPU features over the years. So launching in one one or two games and we're expected to just believe that's what's going to be like across a wide variety. It, it raises some concerning questions and I'm concerned that we're not going to see it in many more titles and it's just going to be one of those features that showed great promise in a couple of games but was really only suitable for a couple of games. But anyway, we'll see. Um, yep. Yeah, really keen to hear back from on that one. Um, other than that though, uh, I've been working on the... the the under deck shed garage conversion thing. I um, oh, it was really cool this morning. I got out there for an hour because I had to do some, had to set some posts in concrete. So I thought if I do that first thing, you know, they'll be done, and the concrete will have time to cure. And I've got a little mini skid steer. Like um, I don't know if they well, and a dingo for the mini skid steer brand is Australian, right? I don't think they'd be in the US. I think it's. I assume with I assume with that brand name, dingoes being a native Australian animal. Probably, I probably just Australian. Yeah, I don't know if they've made their way over to the US, but I doubt it. But they'll have, um, uh, was like Kubota or some of those sort of brands would probably offer mini skid steer type devices in or machines in the US. Anyway, I have a rather large mini skid steer that can lift four hundred kilos uh, or kilograms. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool little machine, and I've got an auger for it. So I put a four fifty auger on it this morning. Uh, drilled two holes just over a meter down it did it it was in fairly hard soil like clay and yeah went through it effortlessly so I drilled those out and concreted in some mild steel posts that were galvanized and it was a pleasure i guess is the point i'm trying to get to because nice. digging holes digging post holes is one of the crappest jobs you can possibly do when it comes to like landscaping and building and all that kind of stuff it is not fun and i've had to do them by hand in the past so now that I have my mini skid steer with a powerful auger, oh, so good, mate. Like nice. drilled those two holes out in five minutes, didn't break a sweat. Um, and yeah, if you've ever dug a deep hole, like a post hole with a shovel, man, there's an art form to it. And it's mostly a backbreaking art form. Like it's so difficult to do. Um, not fun, especially in like hard soil. So I did that and then I uh, took me five minutes and then I spent about 15 minutes being very pleased with it. <laughs> uh, and then, then I got the cement mixer out, mixed up some cement, made some concrete. Essentially, that's what you do. And then took the concrete in a wheelbarrow, poured it in the hole. And yeah, now I've got two very straight posts. So once that goes off, I'll be welding some cross beams to it. I might put some photos in the, the BTS section on Discord, but it's all going well. It is going nice. well. So nice. yeah, that was, that was fun. And then, uh, yeah, I came back inside and did a bit more. APO testing and yeah, I've pretty much got that done now. So I'm just waiting on Intel to get back to me. And nice. yeah, we'll have some other I'll have some other testing to do over the weekend. Yeah, that's that's pretty much my boring life since we last chatted. Well, my boring life includes cricket, which some people would think is extremely boring. So I'll bore people I agree. by talking about the Cricket World Cup, which is currently going on. So um the yeah, the one day international cup at the moment. And I, so a couple of nights ago, Australia was playing Afghanistan and with these games, it's the tournaments in India. So they started around 7.30 in the evening for us here, but the Mm -hmm. game won't be finished until about 4am because they're, you know, they're supposed to go all day, but because of the time zone difference doesn't work out too nice for us. But anyway, I started watching the game and yeah, 
Australia was kind of getting flogged <laughs> a little bit, uh, especially once they got to the batting innings for Australia, who were batting second. And it was getting to the point where I was like, Australia's really getting beaten down here. It was about midnight. I'm like, oh, I should probably stop watching this. Like, it's not particularly interesting. But I started making some notes for the pod, this, this podcast at that time. I was like, oh, I'll just start jotting down some notes and then I'll go to bed. <laughs> Um, that sounds like a good use of my time because this match is pretty boring. <laughs> that's when you know then, it's going badly. <laughs> that's when, yeah, it's, it's like got to in, interest myself with a few other things. Anyway, that's when Glenn Maxwell of Australia started destroying Afghanistan in one of the greatest one-day performances of all time in cricket. He scored 201 runs off 128 balls. If you don't know what cricket is, then all of this will make absolutely no sense. But one of the most impressive things was that he basically like couldn't move halfway through the innings. So he he got injured, was having cramps and stuff and was like lying on the ground, like he was getting work done and he still absolutely dominated this match, which was, yeah, pretty incredible. I ended up staying up until like 3 a.m. or something watching the end of this because, yeah, it wasn't looking like Australia was going to win at all, but because of this performance, um, he ended up winning and he had a six on the last ball to get his 200, which is quite nice. So that was that was good, enjoyed that. Shouldn't really be staying up at to like 3.30 a.m. on a on a weekday, but whatever. Didn't didn't hurt my work too much the next day. And Not also good. this week, I, I finally got around to watching Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Um, I haven't been super impressed with Marvel films lately, so I've kind of been like, yeah, you know, I'll just wait forever to watch this film, <laughs> to watch that film. But I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. Okay. So I'm not a movie reviewer or anything, but, you know, some of the previous Marvel films I would have seen were things like, the Doctor Strange sequel, which I, I wasn't super happy with, didn't think it was that enjoyable, and you know the Eternals, which I was that wasn't very good. But yeah, mm-hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three was yeah, I've quite enjoyed the Guardians of the Galaxy films over over the journey, and yeah, this mm-hmm. one was was pretty similar to the previous ones in terms of it being being quite good and not sort of having all that. Oh, you need to watch like a million Marvel TV sh- series and movies beforehand to understand what's going on, understand who the the villain of the current era is and like all the relationships which, between the superheroes. Yeah, it's yeah, which isn't contained. bad if the, if the content's good, but a lot of the TV series were pretty bad. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I was a big fan of the Marvel stuff early on as well and really enjoyed it and grew tired of it once it started to get very garbage-like. Uh, but yeah. now I've, I've, I've not watched it. My daughters have seen it because they're still sort of yep. selectively into Marvel. Marvel? Marvel? Um, so, yeah. I'll, I'll have to give that a watch, I reckon. It's, I'm just looking now on IMDb and user, like, audience ratings, and it looks well-received compared to a lot of the other Marvel stuff that we've seen yeah. over the last few oversatur- years. It's like an oversaturation of things. Like, I don't think we really need, like, 20 TV series from Marvel and, like, three or four movies every single year. I, I mean, if they're good, you'd welcome it, right? If they were like very, yeah. very good, but they're very, very bad. So I think that's more the problem. Yeah, I think part and, of it and as the well problem is because like, they've pumped it out too much, which you know, like yeah. you can't maintain that. You can have like five, yeah. You, as you say, like you could have twenty TV series and five movies here if they were all really good. But I think as well, part of it is you kind of like Marvel films almost always follow some variation of the whole formula. Like there's this villain that comes from nowhere, basically, and you know, oh, they've got to fight the the, the villain and it's he's very destroying the world. And, and you, you notice that formula more when you're watching four or five of those films sure. every year. Like but if it was once a year. That's the lazy part though, right? Like if they'd not, if they'd made, if there's more effort 
put into yeah, the yeah. storytelling, then yeah, th- that's that's a symptom of just making it cookie cutter. The, yeah, the yeah. Call of Duty problem where they're just pumping out the same crap yeah. to make money. So, yeah, yeah but I get so what think, you're saying. I think Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 succeeded because it does follow directly on from the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Christmas special, which is like a 40-minute sort of TV slash movie thing you could watch on Disney+. Plus. Okay. But it's not really – you don't really need to know that to go into the film. Like you don't need to have watched that. It's very much contained like – yeah, the, all the villains and stuff is not like, oh, who was that the villain from that show? And like, oh, did did I miss something there? It's like it's all it's all pretty well contained. And I think what movie was I? What I can't remember which one it was because there's oh, there's so many of them now. But one of them, yeah, they keep having these villains that sort of like just come out from nowhere. And it's like, where were you during the the like whole end game thing? Like you were just hiding in a hole somewhere. Like why weren't you joining in? Like what was going yeah. on there? So that that was kind of annoying. But yeah. I agree. I haven't been super impressed with a lot of the um, the TV shows. That said, I've mm-hmm. been watching. I'm very much out of date on like the Loki TV show, which is in season two at the moment. And I thought that was one of the better shows in season one. So, sort of interested to see more of how that goes. But yeah, the other shows, hmm, <laughs> quite questionable in terms of quality. But Star Wars is suffering from the same thing as well. Some of yeah, shows like have been the first season of The Mandalorian was epic, in my opinion. Loved it. Yeah, for yep. the most part. And then. Season two was okay from memory, and there's just been mm-hmm. the season three, right? I'm not making yeah, that up. Yeah. yeah, and that wasn't very good. It was just probably why I don't remember it that well. I wouldn't say yeah. it was terrible, but it was it was no it was nowhere near as good as season one. And then Boba Fett was pretty terrible. I mean, very I wanted to like yep. I wanted to like it, but and I I did watch it all, but it was not good. And then Ahsoka was. I don't know. It didn't really go anywhere. You watch that? I'm like halfway through watching it, but it hasn't. Okay, it hasn't I won't super, say anything then. It hasn't super grabbed me, but I think that show relies heavily on whether or not you watched Star Wars Rebels, the animated show. Like, yeah, which I did and quite yeah. liked that. I thought um, the Rebels was really good. Um, and yeah, the shows, yeah. yeah, it's like I said, it hasn't super grabbed me or anything. It's like, yeah, it's it's fine enough, um, but. I the think storytelling issues... wasn't great in it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just say that. I think some of the things that have annoyed me a bit about the the Star Wars shows has been like you've got great characters from the movie franchise like Boba Fett mm-hmm. who really deserved a better show than that. Oh, like, so much better. I know, they, I know they got the the same actor who did the, you know, the clone stuff from the prequel series and, and that was sort of a, a nice sort of you know, continuation of that same actor. But also you know, it would have been more interesting in my opinion to get like an origin story of like what happened, like what happened to him to become a bounty hunter as opposed to the, he's now sort of an old man thing. And there was a similar issue with the, you know, the Obi-Wan show. I didn't think the Obi-Wan show was terrible, but it's like, we're talking about one of the, yeah, it did recover, Mm -hmm. but it's one of the greatest characters in the franchise. And obviously, you know, Anakin Skywalker slash Darth Vader was in the show as well. And that's one of the greatest characters and, you know, I think they could probably do a bit more justice to that than they did in that show. So, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully with some of the other shows that they're developing, they sort of find a niche or even do like an Andor thing. Andor's another show I haven't finished yet because, you know, I don't have heaps of time to watch these TV shows. But that's sort of more like the contained story. Like you don't it's, – it's not just relying on let's put the cool character from the, the movies yeah. into a show and make it around that. It's like let's tell an interesting story. And at least with like, yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy and some of the Marvel stuff – they're able to do that 
like Loki mm. was sort of you kind of need to know what Loki who Loki was as a character but it was kind of all contained within that sort of TVA type scenario where they're going off and doing their own thing whereas yeah some of the other shows have been just like yeah as I said yeah. not impressive I didn't watch Loki I, I'd, I'd lost interest by that point I'd sort of checked out yeah. for the most part the Star Wars because uh, yeah I've been watching Star Wars since I was a kid so whenever there's a new Star Wars thing I'm like oh all right, I've got to watch yep. this. Please don't suck. But yeah, Andor yep. was quite good. I didn't mind that. Bit bit slow, obviously, in parts, but still interesting and and quite very well done. The Obi One started pretty poorly, in my opinion. Didn't really like, didn't like that, but it yep. came good and sort of saved itself at the end for me. But anyway, there's um yeah, a lot of these franchises have been done quite poorly, in my opinion, compared to how epic they could have been. And also, I'll just briefly mention, you like, you've watched and liked The Boys, haven't you? The the sort of superhero yeah. show that's on Amazon Prime. <laughs> yeah, watched I watched that late. Show? No, I, I, I got to The Boys very late. My cousin, Chris, actually made me watch that when he came down. Um, and yeah, fed, quite quite enjoyed it in the end. Uh, haven't watched yeah, so, the spinoff, no. So I've, I, the final episode of Gen V, which is the spinoff to The Boys, I think it aired last week or the week before. And so I've watched the whole series now. And I went in with like low expectations, kind of thinking, I guess, like sort of, oh, it's a spinoff. Like spinoffs are usually bad or they'll do a Marvel thing where they like try and oversaturate it with garbage. Mm -hmm. But I actually thought Gen V was very good. So it's definitely worth watching if you enjoyed The Boys. Um, Yeah, obviously they've got, you know, a whole new set of different characters. But yeah, the story's pretty compelling and good and they sort of don't, flub it <laughs> so well so that was, that was very I'll pleasing that. i'll watch that we can talk about next time because i just i watch these shows while i'm benchmarking like isn't that when you oh. like I, well star wars i don't i usually watch those with my wife and that's why we struggle to get through them all in time because we both got to have time yeah. and the energy to watch them but like the boys for example i just binged that while i was benchmarking so yeah it so means i, I watched... can't give it my full focus but I, I i get the gist of it i watch enough of it yeah, like I tend to have the, the shows that I watch with my partner and, you know, she's interested in watching things like The Boys and the Star Wars shows and things like that. So mm-hmm. we have like the shows that we watch together, which is probably most of the TV that I watch. And then mm-hmm. there are some shows that I sort of just watch um, while I'm benchmarking. So there'll be things that, you know, she isn't interested in. Um, recently, my sort of go-to benchmark show has been BattleBots, <laughs> which is, you know, the competition robot show. Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, very digestible okay. there's lots of filler in it as well so like you can pay attention yep. to the fights but then the sort of in-between stuff i can be doing things also shows like um air crash investigations those sorts of things which you know sort of documentary style things just interesting things like that but there could be the occasional like i've been watching uh the walking dead as an example of a sort of more of a, a narrative show that i'd watch during benchmark man i stopped watching like that. that after like season one or something but yeah I know. it's um pretty so th- there's there was a me- very mediocre patch of a couple of seasons. I, I still might haven't have been season. Up. Yep, might have been halfway through season two. I got bored with it, but yeah, I know people went nuts yeah. with it. Yeah, so it's got it's gone in some interesting directions. But um, yeah, so those are the sort of shows that I'd watch while benchmarking, or just like podcasts or YouTube videos. Because often, if I'm doing yeah, like quality comparison work, it's very yeah. difficult to sort of watch a show and do that. You can't, time. yeah. Yeah, the podcast is huge for me because you listen to those while you're focusing on the testing. So, yeah, I listen to a lot of podcasts. So that, that's also yeah. good. 
All right, well, that does it for the Hard Run Box podcast, episode 12. Got the right number in there. Hopefully you all enjoyed the show. And as I've said in the previous episodes, if you do want to get these slightly earlier, the audio feed is the way to do that because we just publish them when they're ready. The video feed does come out slightly later usually. So audio feed available on all your podcast apps. And yeah, if you want to submit feedback or respond to some of the things we've been saying, give your own opinions on things like Epic Games being garbage and driver updates and YouTube ad blocking, the comments of the YouTube video is probably the best way to do that. Alternatively, if you are a patron or float plan member, we have got our podcast Discord channel in there where you can chat to us about the podcast and even give us a few listener mailbag type stuff. There's one question as well that we got from Alvin that I have flagged for a future episode, very in-depth about optimization and upscaling and things like that. Once again, our thoughts on, on that. So I've saved that for a future podcast. So Alvin, if you're listening, um, we will get to that in the future. So that's it for this one. Thanks for listening and we'll see you or he, you'll hear us in the next one. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.